I'm James Randi, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. That is a voice we will only hear on record from now on. Unfortunately, this was not a joke, nor a trick he pulled on us. This time it's for real. And we are all deeply saddened by the fact that the amazing Randy is no longer with us in flesh. We will keep his memory close to our hearts and try to follow his great example. We all loved and admired him, but the show must go on. This show was recorded two days before we heard the terrible news. Later on, we will pay him our tribute properly, but we couldn't release the episode right after his death without a word of remembrance. Now, on to the show as we recorded it, not suspecting what was going to happen all too soon. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 245. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son! Hey, how are you? <laughs> not bad, not bad. All good, you? all good. Yeah, well, I'm, I've am i been busy writing on, well, working on the book. On the book? The book. My, yeah, the my book. Sci- <laughs> yeah, the book, my sci-fi novel. Uh, and I realized it, it, it needs some work. It wasn't quite as finished as I thought. So I threw out one chapter altogether because it didn't make sense anymore. <laughs> out with that. Okay. And then another one had to be rewritten from scratch. But... I'm do, I'm making progress, so um, it's coming. It's coming. I'm very excited to read it, actually. Like I, I just recently thought about it again. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to read that. Yeah, I hope at least uh, some people <laughs> no pressure, will like no it. No, no, no. Of course, I I like it. I think it's great, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what others are thinking. Are you the kind of author who never thinks that the job is finished? That so the problem for you now must be that you don't have a deadline. Yeah. No, but I've given myself a deadline. Okay. I, because it's, it, it must be out uh, before Christmas. Good. That, that's the deadline. So, and that means I have to finish it like in a three to four weeks before otherwise. It's like yeah. next week. <laughs> yeah, that's good because otherwise you would just keep working on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You could always, always improve a little bit and you, know, you find a comma over there and you can add something over there. And there's a, at, the, at some point you have to say, no. Ready, done. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just have to make a cut. This is why I don't write my blog, because no? I've got about five blog posts in the making, mm-hmm. and I always keep like thinking that it still needs a, a bit of work. I should look look up that and that and that before I publish that, mm-hmm. and uh, I end up not finishing them. Mm-hmm. So they're just <laughs> lying there. Yeah, so it's just a blank, empty blog now? No. Oh, okay. No, there's a lot of words. It's just not never finished. <laughs> okay but um there are lots of people who do a lot of work and they they get them finished uh there is this um a movie 
that's called I Am Greta. Mm. Greta, sorry. Yeah, that's that's right. But um, it's a movie about uh, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. How is she pronounced, Pontus? Greta Thunberg. Thank you. <laughs> the, the TH, the H, imagine that's not gone. The, 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 the sound is not in the Swedish uh, language. Thunberg. Thunberg. It's a hard T. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hard it's like Neanderthal yeah. is actually pronounced Neanderthal in German. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. Exactly the same thing. So I think it's Homo sapiens Neanderthalensis, but I I'll, uh, we'll get back to that Homo sapiens question uh, later <laughs> on. Okay, good. So, but tell us more about the movie, Andrash. Yeah. Well, I don't. I can't, this is the thing that I can't tell you anything because it's fucking not available online. So why would anyone release a movie like this, a documentary? in movie theaters during the time of pandemic all over the world instead of putting it online and uh, making that available for streaming services the only streaming service that plans to put it on its schedule for for november it's hulu hulu and hulu is freaking american so <laughs> who has hulu here in europe i mean uh, I a couple know. of people who want to access it and try it through a vpn but I mean, we don't have it. Right? It's like it, it would be okay if you say we put it in the theaters in, I don't know, June and then have like open air cinemas. Yeah. That would be okay-ish. But <laughs> yeah, but during the times of pandemic, putting it on schedule for a, a movie theater, are yeah. you out of your bloody mind? Yeah. And the re reviews are not very good, actually. That's sad. Some say that it's it's simply boring. Uh, some, some say that, well, if you go on IMDb, it's probably among the worst rated documentaries. Like 2.9. Oh, that's that's it's... too bad. That's too bad. Yeah, that's a bit, uh, bit, bit but, sad. But then actually. maybe it's good that nobody can see it. Then. Yeah. yeah, but, <laughs> but, I, but I, speaking I, of... I, I still want to see it because I, I think her story is a very motivating one and it's it's inspiring and yeah. what she does is, is really great. Definitely. And she knows the science and that's reassuring uh, yeah. about the issue. So, yeah. Right. And okay. I can see now it has... Two point nine yeah. on, on IMDb. That's that's close to nothing. However, there could be, and I'm not sure about this, of course, but there could be a lot of people who just disagree with her and goes in thought, and, and put yeah. a lot of ones. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, could yeah. Be. yeah. So yeah, don't yeah. trust ratings on on, yeah. on IMDb. Yeah, IMDb ratings are never never to be fully trusted, but no. um, huh? so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's quality wise, it's not good enough. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, and I mean, like speaking of pandemics in Germany, actually, COVID is on the rise again. Yeah. Yes. Well, very happy or not? We had like last week at some point of time we had about um, above eight thousand cases a day, which is the, the most we actually had since the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we're not happy, and and with the rise in in cases, ca um, come COVID deniers. They they really having a field day. <laughs> More about that later. But um, they're also good news because a fellow of the GWP called Dr. Christa Federspiel, uh, she received the Austrian Cross of Honor for Science and Arts. So something mm. like the Order of Merit, but Austrian. <laughs> yeah. And she's a medical journalist and one of the founders of GWP uh, in Vienna. And she also initiated workshops in uh, museums and the uh, skeptics in the pub in Vienna. And uh, she also was in the science board of uh, GWUP from uh, 98 until um, four years ago, 2016. So I have to say, like, that's a well-deserved prize. And I'm, I'm pretty happy that 
politics and and governments are finally recognizing the importance of science and science communication uh-huh. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah that should be the case um all over the place but not only that is not the case but uh, also science in general is not very much appreciated by many and so much so that if a scientifically sound argument uh, makes someone who makes money out of conning people uncomfortable, then uh, they start suing people. So uh, you probably all remember that uh, on episode 243, the Belgian skeptic uh, Patrick Vermeeren was our guest uh, and we interviewed him. And he's one of the, the, the two people, the other one is Bart van de Ven, who are being sued for just telling the truth about someone. And that is very unfortunate. And uh, even though they might come out of this uh, on the winning side, uh, they still are going to have a lot of uh, legal expenses. So this is why they've now set up the website. Actually, it was set up uh, for the interview as well. But uh, now it's been a little bit improved and we'll share it on the website so the website is now there and now you have a um, a, a one click payment option uh, with a donate button and uh, PayPal access right away. So that's much easier than the original version of uh, donating to their cause was. So I do recommend everyone who, who is thinking about um, donating uh, to help them out that you visit the website that we put on the show notes. So that's the Belgian skeptics. And um, we've got a um, lot of other stuff to, to talk about on this episode. So why don't we move on to our usual usual things to, to, to mention? And one of them is what happened this week that's related to skepticism. Yeah, so this week... Um, Bela Lugosi, I hope I pronounced that right. Close, very close. What, how would, would he be pronounced, Andras? <laughs> Bela Lugosi. But actually, I would say Lugosi Bela because he was Hungarian and Hungarians use the surname first. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Although I think that's, a, that's his um, celebrity name. Um, and that's why he probably used it in Hollywood. And that's why he probably would be pronounced Bela Lugoshi. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we know that he actually was called something uh, different. Would you care to pronounce that for us, Andre? <laughs> <laughs> okay. His full name was Blaszko Bela Ferenc Dejo. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he would celebrate his 138th uh, birthday on the 20th of November. So he would have a birthday really soon. Mm-hmm. But he's sadly already dead. Well, it's a, it's, I'm surprised. I thought he was the kind of person who lived forever, more yeah. or less. Isn't yeah, he? you would think that, right? Or <laughs> died once and then just um, and then never left yeah. the, the world Came of the back. living. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, for those who don't know him, he's uh, he was a Hungarian actor, especially for horror movies, and he played Count Dracula in a very popular movie of 1931, which is like the iconic uh, Dracula movie. Um, he's like the image that comes to mind if you think of Dracula. And Dracula himself is a supernatural fantasy story. Is it? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. But to give the whole uh, story a bit of a skeptical angle, did you know that vampires actually actually exist in real life? Ooh. Uh, you heard it here first, people. <laughs> you mean animals that suck blood? That's quite common, actually. Well, I actually don't mean animals per se, but maybe, yes, I mean like 
animals. Yeah, we all all are animals. So, um, because they're actually existing people that are drinking blood. Um, but they spell themselves vampire with a Y to differentiate from the supernatural being. And it's important for most to not be uh, confused with like psychopaths and murderers <laughs> mm. who would maybe do the same. Yeah, but they are humans, as I might have said, <laughs> um, and they don't bite. But apart from drinking blood from a voluntary donor, donor, they're completely normal people. They're not supernatural. Mm. Define normal. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think normal is always on a spectrum, right? In any regard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but they... Is it cannibalism, though? That's a good question, but I think they're not eating. They're just consuming. So... What's the difference? Uh, I mean... I don't hmm. know. I think I think that it's not cannibalism as long as you don't eat it to survive. And they don't eat it to survive. I mean, <laughs> if I bite off a chunk of someone's, I mean, hand or, or the, the skin... <laughs> But I just chew on it. Am I not considered a cannibal? Or But is then blood donation, like if you have an accident and you get like a like a transfusion, Ooh. is that cannibalism too? That would be the question. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, you don't digest that, but that's, yeah. Yeah, but you're consuming it, your body. Ooh. <laughs> Talking about it. which, right. I just realized that I know very closely a bloodsucker, an actual vampire, but she uses a syringe yep. to, and they, to get they the do blood the same. from someone else. That's my mother. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> what? Uh, she works in healthcare. and uh, But she doesn't eat the blood, right? Or drink it. No, no, no. But she sucks it with a syringe out of, <laughs> out of someone else. But yeah. I should say <laughs> that these vampires with a Y, they do that with a syringe too, usually. Ah, okay. And they mm -hmm. also test their donors. Like they don't go around stabbing people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're more like doing that with a with a special person like a friend and they have tests before that like an hiv test and everything would you mind giving me a little bit of your blood <laughs> well it sounds weird but for them it's it's totally normal yep. mm. so okay. um also it's it's apparently not a sadistic or masochistic fetish in a way it's uh yeah i mean if, but of course it's interesting in the field of psychology because like i we can all see from our um reactions that we find it a bit like no i wouldn't say unnormal but we found it find it like interesting right disturbing mm -hmm. is the word <laughs> disturbing is the word for example <laughs> mm -hmm. so you can see that 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 this phenomenon definitely um like yeah rises interest in in psychology and thus it's very interesting for for skeptics too uh in some research of this uh, vampire phenomenon, you can also find examples for good signs and bad signs, for example. Because in uh, one case, the people doing a survey about, like, um, for example, when do you want blood or uh, how do you feel before you have blood or after you have blood and something like that. In one case, um, these people actually received a note about the right answers from the person who who did the survey um, and, and uh, yeah, we're, we're like instructed on what to, what to click. And that's, uh, as you would all agree, an example for bad signs. <laughs> cheating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also what's, what's like definite is that a lot of research there still needs to be done. We don't have really have empirical data because it's a very small community doing that. Thank God. And they're all not necessarily open about it. Yeah. My friend and 
GWP colleague Lydia Benecke, she uh, has some contacts with that, with that uh, field. If you're interested, so you... you <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can contact um, her if you want to get in on the exactly. thing. But she also has some ideas uh, about this phenomenon, mm -hmm. because apparently some vampires, um, before they have blood, or like if they feel like withdrawal of blood, they feel depressed, anxious, can't sleep, feel weak, can't focus, and so on. And she said, hmm, that reminded her a lot of symptoms of borderline personality disorder, in, in like if you have like a, an episode in that regard, or a complex PTSD. So she said, maybe this whole blood drinking thing is a coping strategy for a very complex yeah, psychological disorder, which is like she... she um, couldn't do research yet to actually prove that prove that idea but i feel as a layperson i feel it it sounds a bit likely <laughs> yeah. so what we can learn out of that is there's an explanation for everything as uh, <laughs> yeah. disturbing or weird or interesting it sounds and even supernatural beings coming to life uh, is something that can be explained and that's why being a skeptic is so beneficial <laughs> because you even learn things about real life vampires mm -hmm. yeah. i had <laughs> yeah. no idea that this was yeah. a thing no yeah i mean it's it's not super popular but it is definitely a thing something i would also like to add is that these vampires also don't see themselves as being part of a satanic cult or something. Like they don't have to do anything with Satanists and especially not, uh, they're not part of a globally connected satanic network that ritually abuses people around the world because as we all know, that doesn't exist. <laughs> and that's, um, <laughs> yeah. And how do they consume the blood? I mean, do they drink it or do they fry it or, or what happens? They usually drink it. Drink it. From a from yeah. a chalice or some oh nice uh, some from a chalice I think some from the syringe itself okay like interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah because a fried blood is a is a thing and it's not <laughs> not bad well I know that there's like a, in German there's a blood sausage but you make it mm. don't don't make it out of uh, human blood <laughs> that's what they want you to think <laughs> no you make make it out, out of pork blood we have a blood sausage as well but uh, the British and the Irish. They have the the black pudding yeah. that's full of yeah. pork blood as well. We have that too in Sweden, uh, both the sausage and the yeah, pudding. So yeah, yeah. It, it exists. But as, yeah. as you said, Annika, usually not human blood. Yeah. At least. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. But anybody who's interested, we put some German links into the show notes. There's also a documentary about it. Um, but I will just give a warning before that, that like, of course, they show drinking of the blood. So everybody who has a weak stomach yeah, yeah. Uh, shouldn't <laughs> watch it. <laughs> Refrain from it, please. <laughs> Um, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's what happened this week in, in skepticism uh, is Count Dracula has his birthday today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not today, Lugoshi. this week. Wow. <laughs> you know where his name, uh, his uh, chosen surname comes from? Where? The, he, his birthplace. Oh. The, name, the name of the town was Lugos mm -hmm. and it's in uh, present day Romania now. So in a way... He has a very close connection to Dracula mm -hmm. because he's supposed Dra Dracula supposed to be living somewhere in Romania, mm -hmm. at least uh, in the story of uh, Bram Stoker. Mm -hmm. So uh, the place where Vlad the Impaler lived is not very far from that that place called Lugos, mm -hmm. the name of which he chose to use as a surname later. Okay, thank you very much, Annika. You're welcome. <laughs> and since uh, apparently the Pope has been good this week 
at least according to Pontus. Now there's been there's been some shenanigans with China, but I don't think it's worth uh, okay <laughs> talking about today. <laughs> All right, so then uh, the the Pope can uh, sleep well uh, this week, and he doesn't have to worry about a thing. Well. He usually doesn't, right? He has the support of God, so why would he worry about anything? <laughs> so we are moving on to discussing what Europe has been up to lately. And uh, as a bit of a COVID-related uh, news item, uh, I'd like to mention something that uh, Onika has briefly touched upon as well, and that the that is the ACU. And the ACU... Um, uh, stands for something that I would not even try to pronounce. <laughs> so could you could you help Shall me I? out, <laughs> Annika, please? <laughs> yeah. So it's um, I I can also give you the English translation, which, which would be something like a non-parliamentary committee or like investigation committee. Okay. And they call themselves Außerparlamentarische Corona Untersuchungsausschuss. Oh my God! How <laughs> wonderful that Fantastic. sounds. I wonder how Germans ever get anything done because everything they say takes forever. <laughs> yeah, and, <We're> just efficient. <laughs> and what I love about German is how you put all the words together that you can. Yeah, it's so, usually just like one word. <laughs> it's, yeah, no. one word that in other languages would be a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you have a word for it. Uh, very nice. Anyhow, so this ACU non-parliamental committee of some sort yeah uh, this yeah. sounds very very serious and very very sophisticated well it turns out that the the members who are doing that they are not necessarily that and uh, they launched a new initiative that is called the world doctors alliance it sounds very serious as well it's uh, headed by a couple of people who are not without their own personal questionable stories background stories to be honest and um, actually i started looking up all these guys that are involved in this world doctors alliance and uh, uh, some have been arrested for spreading misinformation publicly a psychiatrist who is set to deny reality and science by none other than uh, McGill University scientists. McGill University being one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And uh, they say that this this guy is basically totally out of his mind uh, when he talks uh, uh, psychology. <laughs> and um, his name is uh, Andrew Kaufman, by the way. And uh, Muhammad Adil, who got suspended from the British Medical Register for 12 months this July for denying that COVID existed, that the whole pandemic was a hoax, is what he said. So when I started looking them up, everything started to fall into place about what the motivation behind bringing this World Doctors' Alliance to life could be. And it's all revenge on the system. It's revenge for getting unnoticed or, or revenge for getting rejected by science because of their talking shit. <laughs> so who does that remind you of? Andrew Wakefield? Oh. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> How come we thought of the same person, all three of us? That is really interesting. Now, my problem with this uh, World Doctors Alliance is that they parade as this authoritative kind of uh, professional medical body that actually goes against the establishment and people start following them like crazy. How my attention was drawn to this 
is that my own mother sent it over to me. That look, these are the, there are these guys who they know what they're talking about because they're doctors. And uh, the classical thing about just editing it uh, next to the that picture from Germany that was claimed many many times that it was from the COVID. Uh, related uh, big demonstration with millions of people. Remember that one yeah. from Berlin <laughs> that turns out to, was it like a concert of some sort that uh, those those photos were taken at? So it's ridiculous. The whole thing is a hoax. This is just professional revenge for being rejected for talking shit on, on these people's part. So don't take them seriously. World Doctors Alliance is a fraud. It's just nothing to take seriously. And uh, the videos, some of their videos have actually been taken down by YouTube yeah, uh, for spreading misinformation. My, my, the, my, my problem with this is that it, it probably adds to the, to the confusion and it adds to the already existing claim that it's all a conspiracy. And also like the German uh, chapter of, of them, um, they call themselves Ärzte für Aufklärung, so uh, Medical Doctors for Enlightenment. Yeah, um, oh. which also gives them like the this shiny like heroes against uh, conspiracy uh, mm. against censoring image, and like the whole taking down of YouTube videos probably will just like hit that spot. Yeah, and at the opening ceremony, all of them said um, a couple of sentences about this initiative, and uh, one of these guys, Dr. Mikael Nordfors, uh, I who I don't remember where he's from, but he said that the whole thing, when they bring down the establishment for uh, propagating a hoax, it will be like the Nuremberg trial. Oh. And he even said that he, he hopes that it will actually happen in Nuremberg. So fuck off. Yeah. It's, I, don't, I don't even have words for it, what this is. Yeah. And uh, there, there's a, a Swedish woman as well, actually, there. Mm -hmm. Ekla de Klerk is the name. Doesn't ring a bell. You haven't heard of her? No. Well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> That's probably why she's in the group, because she couldn't get noticed anywhere else. Yeah, uh, pretty much my opinion as well. Yeah, another thing, yet another thing to worry about for skeptics. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting because the, all these people saying that COVID is a hoax or that COVID is not that bad. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got good news because we're all saved. Jens Wurster has found a cure for COVID uh, by using homeopathy. Hooray! Okay. <laughs> all for it. Very good. Yeah. So he named seven examples of over 70 people he uh, treated treated in air quotes um who later got tested positive for COVID, and he gave them homeopathy and they got well again after about a week like wow <laughs> i think without homeopathy they would have gotten well again after seven days guess what <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i think so, <laughs> so uh, i think he definitely misses the relation between like coincidence causality and placebo classic mistake but yeah <laughs> yeah what is mentioned is also that like hahnemann was successful he had a higher uh, like samuel hahnemann who was who invented homeopathy they say like it's this is pretty they use it as evidence for that homeopathy would work that hahnemann had a higher success rate than his peers back in the 18th and 19th century yeah there's a reason as you said exactly. earlier there's a reason for everything <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. And if the... you compare yourself with the standards yeah. in the, what it was in the 1820s or whatever, exactly. I yeah. think I think uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't take that as yeah. your measuring It's like because point. like with his treatments, placebo and and healing capacities of a normal human body could actually work because he wasn't wouldn't like bloodlet his patients. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't kill them actually. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Back to bloodletting again. I mean, he wasn't a vampire. That was you can say that about Hanuman. He wasn't That's the vampire. That's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's still, uh, his, his work is still around, so, and he is um, vampiring money out of people's bags. <laughs> but yes, he's <laughs> still sucking people dry. That's what you want to say, <laughs> yes. Much. But yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to say, like, you can't cure COVID with homeopathy. Sorry. That's what you say. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> mm. But um, what can you cure? misinformation with and uh, we've been trying to find that answer for a long 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 time and uh, this is a battle that has to be fought on several different fronts and one of that front is um, fact checking and trying to provide people and uh, consumers of news uh, with the, the right piece of information however it's not always easy and of course don't we all want to see all the bogus claims and fake news just gone from social media, for example? Yes. A, a recent study has shown that Facebook is the greatest source of disinformation ever. A couple of experts that uh, went into uh, details about that. And it's interesting, but I think it really confirms our already existing suspicions about this. And despite what uh, Mark Zuckerberg said only about a year ago, they seem to have implemented, I mean, Facebook has implemented very strict policies when it comes to denying the Holocaust and discouraging people from vaccinating. The former uh, is informed by deleting contact that denies or distorts the fact that Holocaust happened. The latter, the, the uh, vaccination thing, is somewhat more relaxed as they only ban paid Facebook ads that, that claim the vaccination is harmful or not recommended. But now YouTube has announced that they would jump on the bandwagon as well and they would ban misinformation about COVID vaccinations, specifically COVID vaccinations. But YouTube has been doing a lot in taking down content that uh, violates um, certain rules about uh, spreading misinformation. But uh, of course, even though the COVID vaccine is not there yet, the misinformation about the vaccination uh, against it ha is already plenty. There is already plenty of that going around. But unfortunately, certain trends seem a little bit concerning about the the practices of uh, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. When it comes to 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 these media giants, they seem to have reached the point that fact checking is too slow for them, and something has to be done to stop the flood of nonsense while the fact checking is being done. So recently, they've been tackling this in a new way. They flag the content for fact checking as usual. But while the time-consuming work of it is, is underway, the content can already become viral. That's the issue. We know how this works. The fact-checkers who are required to be verified signatories of the International Fact-Checking Network are massively understaffed and probably overwhelmed with all the work. Uh, so it takes a lot of time. Something that is of the essence if something is to be done. So their solution, by their, I mean, Facebook and Twitter so far, is that when they flag something, they start reducing traffic by lowering the distribution of the posts. That's smart. It is, 
But some, including Pointer, one of the, the aforementioned fact-checkers, have spoken out against this new trend, as they claim that the tech giants are thus becoming the arbiters of the truth. Also true, yeah. Yes, it is. It's an interesting argument, and they ask for much more transparency, but I think what should be the way to go is for Facebook to allocate much more resources in terms, I mean, money. Throw money at it and finance the fact-checking th through these organizations. I'm not saying they should do the fact-checking themselves because it never should happen in the house for Facebook because there's too much vested interest in that. I mean, being very selective about things. So just throw money at these organizations. The organizations are over already being controlled by the International Fact-Checking Network uh, in a way. So quality control is provided by them, but it's their job to, to spot the fake news and, and all kinds of falsehoods. And they operate with ve those very well thought out protocols of the network and follow the rules that f both Facebook and Twitter should not be trusted to adhere to themselves. Because obviously they are money-making machines. So yeah, but they do that already, don't they? They they collaborate with different fact checkers all all over the world. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But apparently, these fact checkers are still struggling to keep up with all the work that they yeah, yeah. they have to do. And the answer and Facebook's answer to this and Twitter's answer uh, seems to be not that, okay, let's make fact-checking quicker by allocating more resources to it, but they say that, you know what, uh, we're going to control the, the traffic here uh, while you're doing the work, but on what basis do they decide that traffic should be lowered about this or that uh, post? They can make that decision completely arbitrarily. So that's the problem. <laughs> yeah and i think it's a valid it's a valid argument that is it is an issue but um i think something has to be done and as long as we keep them on the check i mean facebook twitter and all the tech giants it should be a, if not a solution but a bit of a step forward that at least we don't let these posts to go viral before they get fact-checked Definitely. Yeah. It's it's interesting because misinformation and denying facts is um, so popular right now during the pandemic. And um, sadly, it won't, uh, like you believing or denying that uh, COVID exists doesn't keep you from getting infected. Hmm. Because, uh, and I really don't, don't want to be like, uh, have some uh, schadenfreude moment. <laughs> so like, I really don't want to um, hmm. be happy about this. But apparently a fitness influencer uh, from the Ukraine died after pretty much uh, having denied that, that COVID exists, uh, like several, a few days later only. Um, so... The fitness influencer Dimitri Stusuk, um, yeah, actually died from COVID last week, and um, he posted on Instagram that he didn't believe it, uh, believe in COVID, and a few days later he got infected. Then saying on Instagram that it's not a short and easy disease and that he's in a stable condition, and only one day uh, later he died at the hospital. So I have to say, like, I'm really sorry for the loss of, of uh, this family. And I'm also sorry for all the people dying from COVID, no matter if they believe in it or not. So, yeah, it's just like, I know this is a sad and depressing uh, topic, but this just shows how important it is for all of us to wear our masks and to keep our distance and to just take care <laughs> yeah. of, um, yeah, 
to be careful because the virus doesn't care if you believe in it or not. No, it doesn't. Uh, that's true. Uh, we have a celebrity here in Hungary as well who denied at the beginning the mere existence of the pandemic. And uh, now he, he he got ill and uh, I think he got hospitalized as well. And now he, he keeps saying everyone that, come on, I was wrong. And that is a thing that is good to see. That someone... Yeah, yes. we want to hear that more often. People who can admit that they were wrong, yeah? Yeah, but he, he was lucky that he lives to be able to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay, uh, now that I mentioned Hungary... <laughs> Orban update. Yeah, yeah. can I give you some, some Orban bashing? The OU. Obsessively opposing Orban, I think it was. Obsessively opposing Orban, that's right. Obsessively <laughs> opposing Orban. Yes, uh, some would say I do that <laughs> quite often. <laughs> But it's really easy to do that when he gives all the possible opportunities uh, that, that you can imagine to do that. And recently there was an opening of um, a reformed church school because there are a couple of those, well, a growing number of those since he became prime minister again, 10 years ago. He's been leading the country for 10 years. So he was there, obviously, at the opening. Why wouldn't wouldn't he? Because the, the government provided funding for the renovation of the building and stuff. But he said a couple of very interesting things. First of all, He did say that when the government and the state spends money on church schools and church institutions, it's a good thing because it will be coming back in the form of uh, cultural advances and uh, a lot of young people will be brought up to become Christian adults who adhere to the ancient rules, the thousand-year-old rules that have been is uh, established in the Carpathian Basin. What? And their Hungarianness is being nurtured then and their sense of Hungarianness can develop through following the Christian faith and following the Christian rules. He knows that the first Hungarians weren't Christian, right? Yes, he, knows. he, he, he <laughs> yeah. does know. And yes. also <laughs> that Christianity didn't come from the what's it called the Carpathian what is it Carpathian Basin yeah the Carpathian Basin Carpathian Basin yeah, yeah 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 it was imported here he already is cause for concern that he wants to spend and he does spend a lot of money on helping uh, church organizations because uh, one of the parties that he has a coalition with um, well it's a pseudo coalition but never mind it's the Christian Christian party and He needs them. And this is why he even said something, quoting a reformed church priest, Andre Jokoshi, that, and I quote, Christian freedom was bestowed on us to raise children as homo christianus. Homo christianus. Now, fuck off. That's what I say to yes. homo christianus. <laughs> homo christianus doesn't even exist, you helpless buffoon. Yeah. It's non-existent. It's a, well... We are talking about Homo Christianus. Homo Christianus should be part of the, the subspecies that we all of us humans belong to. Homo sapiens sapiens. And there's no such thing as Homo Christianus. So <laughs> you go to hell and please don't spend my money, my tax foreigns on helping out the church. And all that he does is helping out the church 
and with EU money as well. So uh, be warned that it's your money as well, not only mine. So Ooh. building stadiums, helping his own friends. You've probably heard of uh, one of the most wealthy guys in Europe now. Uh, he's the wealthiest person in Hungary. And in terms of growth rate of his wealth, he's doing better than Jeff Bezos <laughs> in the last five years. Yeah, wow. And it's all coming from... EU money. So this motherfucker, he does that with the EU money. He gives it to his friends. He builds stadiums. He uh, renovates and builds church schools and church buildings. And that's basically all. Then at the same time, he cannot fix either neither the education nor uh, healthcare. So healthcare is um, on the verge of collapsing, actually, uh, with COVID-19 upon us and a lot of people leaving the system because of the decisions that he, they, have made, they have made recently. So Something I want to point yeah. to is that he doesn't call it homo sapiens Christianus. No. Which is interesting, right? Exactly. He, he doesn't want smart people because they would pick he up He doesn't want on smart something. people, no. No, no, homo stupidus Christianus. Homo stupidus Christianus. Yeah. <laughs> homo Christianus Christianus. That's what he's after. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry about the rent. Well deserved rent. <laughs> All right. I have a follow-up uh, to last week's Really Wrong Award. Um, that is issue, if you haven't listened to that episode, it was about a peer-reviewed paper that tried to argue that intelligent design or creationism must be true because of maths. Yeah. Uh, the authors argued that because proteins work in such a perfect harmony together and Spoiler, they don't always. But anyway, that's what they thought. <laughs> uh, somebody must have designed this system and uh, therefore there must be a creator of this universe. So st stupid stuff. But the update now this week is that the journal, which is called the Journal of Theoretical Biology, has announced that they will not retract this paper because the paper has passed peer review. And it did, yes. And the authors have not broken any rules. <laughs> well, the last point, mm. <laughs> the Retraction Watch, which is a website that we, that we like very much, they point out that part of the rules created by that very journal is that authors have to disclose any potential major competing interest, also known as conflicts of interest. That is one of the rules. And it just so happens that one of the authors... Torvaldsen is his name. He failed to disclose a donation of $1.6 million to uh, his anti-evolution organization from a known creationist. So if you receive money, that, that's fine. But you have to disclose that you did so. And if you have a conflict of interest. So he did break the rules. Ah, that was just pocket money. Yeah, it was just pocket <laughs> money, of course. $1.6 million. <laughs> between friends. So um, uh, I don't know what to make of this uh, journal of theoretical, theoretical biology. I, I, I don't, I wonder what they, if they have a, an agenda here or if they're in on the whole thing. This paper did break the rules and the journal refuses to with, withdraw the, the article. So not good. <laughs> not good. No. So I think we need some good news. To, to finish on, right? And uh, I think one of the best is that uh, there is now a new updated 
and revised edition of the Debunking Handbook available. Mm. I hope many of our listeners are familiar with the original Debunking Handbook that was published on Skeptical Science. It's a great website with with all the science about mostly about uh, climate change. And it was published in uh, 2011. So since then, there has been a lot of research into all those topics that, that are covered in the Debunking Handbook, how debunking is most effective. But the great thing about that is it has been translated to many different languages, 13 different languages apart from the English. So it's quite easily available to a lot of people. And uh, yeah, it was a very cool international collaboration of um, the translation of that. So the new one, uh, what the difference is, is mostly there are even more people behind the writing of this book. Uh, the original debunking handbook was written by John Cook, whom we interviewed on this show, <laughs> and Stephen Lewandowski. And uh, they managed to get as much of the research as, as it was possible back in uh, 2011. But now they uh, try to, to use the collective expertise of 22 prominent scholars who are doing research uh, um, in the fields of misinformation and debunking and psychology and philosophy. So they brought all those people together. They sat down, they found the most up-to-date research on the matters, and they wrote it into a new book that's called The Debunking Handbook 2020. And it's now available on uh, climatechangecommunication.org. Obviously, the link will be available on the website. And since there are a lot of things that might be interesting to discuss in terms of what has been updated, what the actual pieces of research are that that uh, seem to be out of date by now from the original. We asked uh, Stephen Lewandowski uh, for an interview and he preliminary said yes, uh, we're just waiting to confirm and uh, schedule that interview. So stay tuned for that because uh, we will hear about this uh, debunking handbook much more later on. Right, yeah, very good. Definitely good news. <laughs> all right, so that has been all the news that we wanted to share with our listeners, and that means that we are uh, about to find out who's been really wrong or really right lately. Well, we have more good news, because this week is a really right week. <laughs> so some, somebody's been really right. And um, it's actually been published today, as we record it, on the 19th of October. And it is the Manifesto Against Pseudotherapies. And we know it's been worked on for a long time. Uh, we've heard about it in the in the business, if you will. Uh, but it's, it's, it's taking a long time, and it's, no, there's no... It's not strange because it has been signed by 2,750 experts and health professionals from 44 countries. And of course, it takes a little while to get everybody together like this. Uh, a couple of high-ranking uh, people that we know has also signed it. Then uh, they have been guests on, on our show. So Edzard Ernst has, is there, Sanal Edemaruku and uh, Tomas Witskowski. And many more, of course. As I said, it's almost 3,000 people. It was organized by people from, from Spain, uh, uh, led by Fernando Cervera Rodriguez, mm -hmm. and uh, 11 different organizations from 11 countries are standing behind this. And among those are 
uh, organizations that we all know and love, like the Good Thinking Society and also the Swedish Skeptics VOF. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is this all about then? It's about all kinds of protesting, all kinds of bogus so-called alternative medicine or scam, as Edzard Ernst would call them, like acupuncture, Reiki, German new medicine, Annika, listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Iridology and biomagnetism and, and many more. But it is especially also mentions the EU Directive 2001-83-CE from November 2001. And if you don't know it by heart, I will tell you what that is all about. The, this is something that was put together to regulate or to gather all the regulations actually about medical uh, treatments and, and, uh, and uh, medicine in the EU. But it also contains an explicit exception for homeopathy. Among other things, it says that uh, you should treat homeopathy a little bit different because, quote, the very low level of active ingredients they contain and the difficulty of applying to them the conventional statistical methods relating to clinical trials, etc., etc., motivates that you make an exception for this. So that gives every country in EU the option to treat homeopathy different and exclude them from all the the regulations that normal medicine has. And that, of course, is a very bad thing and we should get rid of it. They they basically don't need to adhere to the same rules. I mean, they don't need to provide the same kind of evidence for their efficacy. No, it's a get get out of jail free card that they don't deserve. Ridiculous. And it also doesn't even make sense. Yes, no, No. and I'll, I'll get to that. So there's two major reasons, uh, as quoted, uh, for this fast track for homeopathy. The directive claims that homeopathy is safe because there's nothing in it. It's not true that it's safe because of that. It's true that there's nothing in it. But if you provide something that doesn't work, you have the risk of delaying and skipping real medicine for the patient, right? Also, it creates a financial harm by encouraging and legitimizing a bogus industry. So you have a financial harm as well. People are paying for things that doesn't work. The second thing that they mentioned is that it's very hard to statistically test. Uh, And the basis of that is that, that what homeopaths always claim is that homeopathic prescriptions are individualized to each patient. So no patient is the same. So you cannot easily control, you you can't have a trial because of that. But that is a very nonsense argument. And uh, and the, the logic behind it is totally flawed. Because if homeopaths actually have to individualize the medicine for each and every patient, they must have some sort of system for it. I know they call it experience in in the homeopathic business, but there must be something that they use to allocate the right medication to the patient. And if that is so, then there must be something in that allocation that you could put in the trial, some conditions and some... uh, You have to be able to quantify what you're doing there because if you're not quantifying that, if it's not describable or, or there's no logic to it, then prescriptions are arbitrary and random. So the conclusion is either homeopaths don't know what they're doing or 
homeopathy is testable because there are rules for how to allocate the things. <laughs> That's not even considering the fact that a lot of homeopathic remedies are sold over the counter to people, directly to the consumer. So who's doing the individualization then? And it's also, like you said before, um, that uh, they claim it's safe because there's nothing in it. But I just remembered this case uh, in the US where they actually didn't dil um, dilute it properly. Right. Um, and there was they had like homeopathic teething tablets for, for babies yeah. containing belladonna and they didn't dilute it properly and it was actually still toxic for babies. <laughs> it's, so, that's crazy. Yeah, it's just like even then it's not... There's not even nothing in it. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's 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 uh it's not safe either if there's nothing in it or if there's something in it it's just like yeah yeah not uh, good <laughs> by the way the directive does the same it has a clause there saying if some anthroposophic remedies are prepared according to the same principles as homeopathy the exclusion is also for anthroposophic remedies which is interesting because i've had this discussion with Uh, people who believes in anthroposophy and when i call it homeopathic medicine they say no 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 that's totally different yeah of course not according to this anyway <laughs> so so we need to get rid of this exception from uh, the regulations and therefore this manifesto is a very good thing i know there are some objections to the manifesto It uses pretty hard language. It talks about lying to the patients and fraud. And um, and, and that's a bit hard because the, I know that there are practitioners out there who are sincere and believe in what they're doing. But you could also argue that that doesn't matter. If you claim to be able to heal people or improve people's health, uh, even save their lives, you have a duty to do your homework. And if you don't do that, it's the same as fraud in my book. Yes. And also, you can't tell very often if people are being sincere or fraudulent. You know, they don't. They won't tell you that they're lying. So. And it doesn't really matter no. uh, from the perspective of the outcome. No, it doesn't. I mean... that's not. So what's good with this manifesto... And, it's still untrue. Yeah. And, and this is something that we've talked about for years, actually. It challenges rules and regulations uh, in, the, in society. And some skeptics say that we should focus on educating the public and not to deal with political questions. First of all, we can do both. I personally think we should stay out of party politics because that often gets into ideologies and stuff that is not scientific and who knows who's right there. There's no, no way of telling. But specific political issues that have a pure scientific angle, I don't see any problem with us taking on that. So I think we should take a stand on this. And this is why I supported the Swedish skeptic signing this manifesto. And this is not about politics. This is about policies. Yes, and, right. And that, that is a distinction that we have to make. But when it comes to policies that have something to do with science and a lot of, well, I think it would be difficult to find any kind of policy that has has not nothing to do with science because mostly they should be fact-based. Right. They should be research-based. They should be researched uh, what the best outcome, what the best solution would be for a certain thing. And uh, this is where we come in as skeptics. We should have our voices heard. Yeah. And how, how else can we change society, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, for challenging stupid and dangerous EU regulations 
this manifesto against pseudotherapies gets today's prize for being really right. Well deserved. <laughs> well done. And I, I'm just hoping that this makes uh, a lot of waves all over the world. And especially on, on a European level. And I do encourage everyone. I did. I personally did, did that, actually. I, today, I sent all the material over to someone I, I know personally. Uh, and she's an MEP. Mm -hmm. And uh, she happens to be a doctor as well. So I asked for her help. And I encourage everyone to do the same thing. First of all, you should know who your MEP is. Who represents your place, your country in the European Parliament. And uh, if you know someone on the European Commission, it helps even further yeah. <laughs> because they are the ones uh, initiating uh, legislative changes on a European level. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that concludes our show. But before we go, let me share a nice, short and sweet quote with you. Uh, that comes from Thomas Henry Huxley, Ooh. British biologist who's also often being referred to as Darwin's bulldog. Woof. Uh, woof. <laughs> and he comes from a very special family, right? Because if I remember correctly, his grandson wrote Brave New World, Elvis Huxley. Yes, right. And yeah. another member of the family also discovered something with uh, DNA. I think, stuff, I think so. as, uh, three or four of his grandsons yeah. uh, were famous yeah. uh, for different things. So, yeah. Quite good. I mean, <laughs> he did his fair share of spreading good genes. <laughs> and what he said was, The great tragedy of science, the slaying of a beautiful hypothesis by an ugly fact. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Facts can be ugly, but they're the truth and we should get to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So even though you are emotionally attached to how beautiful the idea of homeopathy is, it's, the facts show that it just doesn't work. So stop believing it, please. Yeah, get over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Find something else that actually works. Like medicine. Like medicine. Okay, so uh, that has been all for, for this week. I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks. Of course, I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yeah, I'll do it again. <laughs> That's not a chipmunk. <laughs> that is a chipmunk. Or the turtle. <laughs> Munching on something. No, that's one. <laughs> <laughs>
I have one of the cats. Um, he eats like that. You know, bats can eat like that. That is crazy. Have you ever seen bats? a bat eating from close up? That's ridiculous. No, they are they are very shy. Like a... <laughs> Did you see this video where somebody filmed in a bed, uh, like it was a, um, a cage with bats, but they turn it around and then put yeah, like yeah. gothic music under it? Yeah, yeah. So good. Wow. <laughs> I saw okay. that. Yeah, so it looked like they were really yeah. Dracula people. Andras, while we are on a break <laughs> that you have to cut out anyway. We were on a break! Uh, what? <laughs> when... when uh, uh, you're you're communicating through Bluetooth now with us, right? Yes. 